Um, I was really encouraged last Sunday night. I went home uh, full of faith, Lamb, after your message about the wise woman and the rebellion of Sheba. And I sat on my couch and I just sat there and the Lord said, RACV Healsville. Where did that come from? Oh, I thought, oh, that's what we want to do for our, our wedding anniversary. Quick, I looked up. There was a room available, booked it, went up on Monday night, had a lovely wedding anniversary with my wife. The Holy Spirit is the guide. And we need his counsel, we need his wisdom, we need his inspiration. When we got up there, uh, the fellow said, oh, we've upgraded your room. I thought, no, that is you, Lord, you know. God, by the Holy Spirit, ministering to us. And last Sunday, the wisdom of an unnamed woman. That was beautiful, wasn't it? An unnamed person, but God knows exactly who she is, doesn't he? You know, but she's unnamed, like the woman who put the two copper coins in the, in the offering. Was contrasted with the foolishness of Sheba, the son of Bichri. The rebellion of Sheba had placed a whole community at risk of destruction. And, you know, our sin affects others. Never think that your sin is just going to affect you. It is going to affect others. And actually, if you remember that, it will help you not to sin. In ministry, I know that if I fall into adultery, it would affect all of you powerfully. It's actually helpful to remember. Your sin affects other people, not just you. And here's Sheba, and he's um, fled to Abel of Beth Makkah. And this woman in the town recognized that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And she had the corrupt leaven removed from her community. She, she, you know, there was Joab. She had this conversation with Joab, and uh, he told her, He's after Sheba. She said, no worries, we'll chop off his head and throw it down to you. Sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? But she knew that sin in that community was going to cause trouble and corrupt it. And Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, your boasting is not good. He's speaking to the Christian church in Corinth. Do you not know that little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us be honest about things. If there is sin, let us deal with it. As peace and order begin to emerge in Israel... The rebellious movements of Absalom and Sheba are overcome. Other troubles emerge in the community. A famine for three years hits Israel. And the famine is severe enough to cause David to be deeply troubled. His people are suffering from this afflicted state that his community is in. And he knows that God controls the weather. I think there are a lot of people who don't think God controls the weather. They think we do. You know, 
global warming. We'll, we'll turn the temperature down. Well, according to the Bible, it says all elements are going to be consumed with fire. I think you have trouble doing it, you know. David knows God controls the weather. And so this famine for three years causes David to seek the face of God. And when we have things, troubling things happen, we should seek the face of God. God wants to give us understanding of why things are happening. He is, I said to this young man who came to church membership classes today and the other classes, God is longing to reveal truth to us. We're the ones that run away from truth. God is the one longing to share truth with us. He sent his son. I am the way, the truth. He sent the truth to us. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of God is wanting to reveal truth to us. So when there are troubles, when there are difficulties, he wants to tell us things so that we know the truth. For the truth will set us free. And David seeks the face of God. You know, there are times of trouble that come to us and they are a result of the battle we're in. And God reveals that to us. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? You know, three times I besought the Lord that he would take this affliction from me, this messenger of Satan. That's not very pleasant, is it, to have a messenger of Satan causing you trouble in your flesh. I feel like I've got him now at the moment, me. But God told him, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So he got an answer. It wasn't as if he was left there, oh, you know, what's happening to me? I don't know. No, God told him, this is going to stay, but my grace is also going to meet you in that situation. So the trouble that he was facing was not due to his sin. It was due to God disciplining him to trust in the grace that he would provide. But there are also times when judgment comes because of sin. You know, the call of God to Solomon in Second Chronicles 7, which is such a well-known passage, you know, if I sin pestilence, if I sin famine, if I do this or that, if my people who call by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Well, you can't possibly seek the face of God and actually not find him because he's promised you will. And David seeks the face of God. He says, he sought the face of the Lord and the Lord spoke to him and said, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the famine that is coming into Israel is the result of sinful behavior from Saul in relation to this group called the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites, who are the Gibeonites? Well, the Gibeonites were, they're, they're not part of Israel, but they were living in the promised land. And when Joshua came across the Jordan and began to uh, bring destruction to the various nations that were living in the promised land, the Gibeonites were frightened and fearful of what might happen to them. So they actually disguised themselves. They put on sackcloth, they put on torn clothes, and they presented themselves as if they came from a far country and they had come because they were attracted to the God of Israel. 
and Joshua believed them. And he entered into a covenant with them, not to destroy them, but to allow them to remain with them in the land. And it says in Joshua 9, at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbours and that they lived among them. You say, oh, well, you could cancel the covenant you've made. No, you can't. Do you know today, people do not realise the seriousness of breaking covenant promises in the eyes of God. When you marry somebody, you make covenant promises to the person you marry. And it doesn't matter whether they turn out to be a Gibeonite and they've deceived you about what they're really on about. You have made covenant promises to them. And God, he is aware of that. And people break covenant promises at ease and don't realise the consequences of doing it. Here we have broken covenant promises bringing a famine on a whole land. In verse 19 of Joshua 9, the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them, let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. You know, God takes very seriously what we say. And this passage is reminding us that God has heard what Joshua and the people said to these Gibeonites. And this is going on for generation after generation. That promise has to be preserved and kept. Well, we dismiss all sorts of things that we say. One of the most clear witnesses of a godly person is they do what they say. Why is that? Because God does what he says. And if we say things and don't do them as his people, we are bearing witness to a false God. And that's a serious matter. You know, I was taking church membership classes today and as I was preparing this message, I felt God say, make sure you give the promises that these people are going to make to them in the first lesson so they actually read them carefully and realise what they're doing when they come to be a church member. Do you repent of your sin, put your trust in Jesus who's sacrificed on the cross, takes away your sin? Yes, I do. Hallelujah. Do you promise to share regularly with your fellow Christians in worship on the Lord's day? Hmm, I do. Well, okay, let's just see how that one works out sometimes. Do you promise to be faithful in reading the Bible in prayer? These are all good things to promise to do. Do you promise to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? Give the God-honoring proportion of your time, talents and money for the church's work in the world? I do. Do you promise to confess Christ before others, to serve him in your daily work and to walk in his ways all the days of your life? 
Do you acknowledge your dependence on the Holy Spirit to equip you, enable you to be faithful to your confession? I do. Do you promise to submit to the authority of the session, the elders, as they exercise pastoral oversight of you? I do. Now, I know so many people who do not keep these promises. And God knows that too. And there are consequences. When you make promises and you don't keep them, God knows. Well, the alliance with the Gibeonites lasted for centuries until Saul. Now, why did Saul, I wanted to find out, why did Saul actually break this promise? Well, it's a bit of a, a, a extensive um, explanation, but I think the, the explanation that I finally found on this is very sound. You see, Saul was a Benjaminite, and these Gibeonites inhabited Benjaminite territory. And so they were not Israelites. And Saul, in his zeal to cleanse his territory, he wanted the whole territory to be, you know, Benjaminites. And the Gibeonites who were inhabiting this territory were, were, were saying, but, you know, they had this covenant promise. And Saul, in his zeal, fought against these Gibeonites to drive them out of this territory and killed some of them. Well, whew. hmm. You know, the Gibeonites actually, although they, they, they became servants of Israel in the land, they actually, uh, they actually had a strong attachment to the God of Israel in their f- expression of faith. They considered themselves not a foreign element. They're holding on to their alliance with Israel. History is borne out. They stand for they continued to be part of Israel, although in their capacity as temple slaves, later they became known as Netanim, meaning given to the temple as servants. However, Saul looked upon them with suspicion, for they appeared to all intents and purposes not unlike all the other Canaanite people. Saul offered to move them peaceably to some other territory, but the Gibeonites refused on the strength of the ancient covenant. It was then that Saul forcefully evicted them from their enclave and killed some of them who resisted. Saul had failed to honour the covenant made by Joshua. And God knows when we break promises. So, David, having heard of God's anguish over this blood guilt on Saul's family, goes to the Gibeonites and asks them, what, what should he do to respond to this, to correct what has happened? And they say to David, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you and how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord. The Gibeonites said to him, it is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, what do you say then? What shall I do? They said to the king, the man who, consu- uh, who, sorry, who, yeah, who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that they may hang, we may hang them 
before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul. That sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? A broken promise. Give us seven of his sons that we may kill them and hang them up so people will remember what? Don't break your promises to God. It's a serious matter. And David agrees. He says, the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth. Notice the writer of, this, of, of the book here is telling us something interesting. He, he spared Mephibosheth. Why? Well, we're told. Because of the oath of the Lord that had been between David and Jonathan. David was not going to do the same as Saul. He's not going to break his oath in this exercise. He knew that an oath before God is absolutely to, to change that. You can't do that. That's why this is recorded here. David is not going to break an oath like Saul broke, the oath that had been made to the Gibeonites. And the king took seven of the other sons of Saul and he handed them over to the Gibeonites and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord and the seven of them perished together they were put to death in the first days of harvest at the beginning of barley harvest and then you have the story of one of the mothers of these Rizpah the daughter of Ah, took sackcloth and she's mourning from the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell upon them from the heavens and David hears of all this and then he realises, of course, that, okay, there's discipline. These people are killed, but they're not to be dishonoured. There is discipline. I wonder what you think about Ananias and Sapphira. Do you think they went to hell or heaven? I think they went to heaven. You know, Paul tells us the Corinthians that, that uh, you'll be saved through fire and the works that you've done will be tested with fire. And so Ananias and as far as works were certainly tested. They were tested through fire. They actually were di- they died. That was the discipline, death. But not necessarily eternal. There are consequences for our sinful behaviour. And here David recognises that these are God's people who have been disciplined. And so he gathers the bones of Saul and Jonathan and the seven sons that have been killed by the Gibeonites and he buries them in Benjamin in the very home or land of Kish, their father, recognising they needed a proper burial, they needed to be acknowledged as God's people but they were disciplined for their sinfulness and I think sometimes we fail to see that there are temporal judgments that are necessary to honour God to glorify God that his name is not put to shame anyway when all of this is carried out what happens then after that God hears the prayers of his people and sends the rain on the land. 
and restores the land. So dealing with sin in the household of God's people is vital in order to restore the relationship that God's people have with him that he might bless them, that he might provide all that they need. So that's the first trouble we face in this world is our own sin and the impact that sin has on our lives. Now, here you have the people of Israel. They've dealt with this blood guilt. The blessing of God has come upon them and they are thriving. And now what happens? War happens. You see, because you will see in the Bible that whenever God's people separate themselves unto him, war happens. You'll see it. Take the Israelites. They're in Egypt. They're suffering under Pharaoh. They are praying and crying out to God. They're pleading with him to rescue them out of this situation. And finally, of course, at the Passover, they're released and they go out. It says in, in Exodus, they go out defiantly. What happens next? Pharaoh raises his chariots up to chase them out there. We can't have these people separating from us. And that's always what Satan does. Satan does not want us to be separated from him. And when we deal with sin, we separate us from Satan. And when Satan sees us separating from him, he sends war against us. That's why my brother was struggling at home today, falling asleep, because the enemy was fighting him for preaching such a fine sermon this morning. There is a battle in this world. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to... Are you ready? You know? uh, are you, are you, uh, uh, have you got the mindset that that's what we're in? Well, here we have it. Immediately after separating themselves under God and dealing with their own sin, there was war again between the Philistines and Israel. The Philistines in the Old Testament represent the enemies of God. And David went down together with his servants. Now David is an aged man by this stage and fought against the Philistines and David grew weary. How are you going, Neville Langford? You're growing weary, sir? Of course he is. So is my friend Lamb, so am I. So I don't know about you. We're growing weary and we need to be mindful of people who are in the battle. You'll see in this passage that David's servants advise him not to go out in the front line anymore. They go and do the battles for, for David. But the reality is there is war here and Ishbenob, I love that, isn't it? One of the descendants of the giants, or it says in, in the NIV, uses the name of the small uh, family that they come from. But these are the giants from Gath. These are the, the uh, uh, ones like uh, Goliath and his family. Remember Ittai the Gittite from Gath? Oh, I love that story. A few weeks ago we talked about Ittai the Gittite. If you haven't studied Ittai the Gittite in the Old Testament, have a look at him. He's the most amazing repentant fellow who starts off as a servant of, of the Philistines and the commander of the army of the Philistines serving the Gath and then starts to get in contact with David and starts to see the amazing quality of this man and in the end he completely abandons the whole of the Philistine army and, and, and he runs off to David's army. 
What an amazing man. And he completely repents. And in the end, David appoints him commander in charge of a third of his army. How about that? What a beautiful story of a man who leaves everything. It's like the disciples, isn't it? They left everything and followed Jesus. It's either guitar. Anyway, that was a bit of a distraction here. But he's from the same territory as these giants here, the Philistine giants. And of course, you know, we described the sort of weapons they had. Had a spear, weighed 300 shekels of bronze, was armed with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. Well, let me tell you this, that when you have leaders who follow God, Satan wants them dead. Yep. Peter and James, they were leading the church in in Jerusalem, weren't they? Do you think Satan wanted them dead? Herod arrested them, chopped off James's head. There was a battle on, wasn't there? A war going on. Friends, this is the reality of the, the kingdom that we're part of. It's not part of this world and there is a kingdom of the world that's opposing the kingdom of God. And those who separate themselves unto God are in a war. What do they do? They're people like, you know, they went to Rhoda and those Mark's house and pleading with God and I think they were praying I love that prayer meeting because it seems like they were praying and praying and praying but they hardly were believing that could possibly anything could happen in answer to their prayers but then you have this amazing event if you if you pray and you think that your prayers are just hitting the ceiling just remember Mark's house and Peter in prison right your prayers seem to be hitting the ceiling don't ever think God is not hearing what you say You know, that incredible rescue of Peter out of prison, four squads of soldiers, that's 16 soldiers, you know, guarding one man. And an angel comes and leads him out and into the house. Who do we need to fight for us? Huh? Are we citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Hands up if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Are you looking for the army of heaven to fight for you? How are you engaging with that army to fight for you? The only way is down here. The only way for the army of heaven to be engaged is for us to pray. I love that passage in Revelation 8 where I preached on it near Christmas where the angels are described there as taking incense mixed with the prayers of the saints and presenting them to God. So the prayers of the saints are taken by angels into the presence of God. How about that? And that lovely story of Daniel in Daniel 10, you know, where he's fasting and praying and there's a war going on in the heavenly places. And finally the angel breaks through and says, the first thing he says, oh man, greatly loved. Doesn't that sort of inspire you to pray? Because we're in a battle. Well, here, 
this giant sought to kill David. And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. How we need one another in the battle. You know, we can't fight this battle on our own. We need each other. And he said to David, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you, quen- lest you quench the lamp of Israel. You know, these people knew that David had been anointed to be king and they wanted him to stay in that place. And as Lamb preached last week about we have to be careful, if someone is actually called of God, they may not be perfect. David was not perfect, but he was called of God for the task. And we need to honour that call, that position the person is fulfilling because it's God who's chosen them for that purpose. And then war keeps going. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. So you see how Satan and the enemies of God... They just cannot help but fight against people who have separated themselves unto the Lord. And this just runs all through the Bible. And probably, for me anyway, the kind of clinching story that emphasizes these two things, the two troubles we have. Firstly, the trouble of sin ourselves that we need to deal with. And secondly, the battle with the enemy is the story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's story in 2 Chronicles from chapter 18, 19 and 20. A beautiful illustration of this. Jehoshaphat, who's a godly king in Judah, he makes an alliance with Ahab, who is a very ungodly, uh, rebellious king in Israel. Uh, He's wooed by Ahab to go out to battle with him to fight against the Syrian army and he nearly loses his life because he's compromised but he cries out in the midst of the battle. That's the thing that saved him. He cried out to the God who can rescue us. And when he comes back, a seer comes to him, what are you doing making friends of God's enemies? And he realizes the sinfulness of corrupting holiness in the household of God. And he comes back to Jerusalem and he brings all the people. He sets up people, judges in the town to judge justly and with impartiality. And, and, and he gets the whole of Judah operating under God. And what happens next? Here you have the people separating themselves under the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, it ought to be a place where we just go automatically in our Bibles because it's a classic place of what happens to those who separate themselves unto the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, after this, after the, the separation and the, the holy living the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them, some of the Meonites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So you can be sure that if you separate yourself unto God, there will be armies, there will be enemies raised up against you. So men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazon Tamar. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I I love that. You know, he didn't rally the army together and, okay, we're going to fight them. He thought, no, we're done. If God doesn't fight this battle for us, we're finished. If God doesn't fight the battle for us, we're done. So he proclaimed a fast and they prayed. 
And then he prays this magnificent prayer, isn't it? And I think many of us have delighted in the words where he says, Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. Is that how you feel sometimes? Well, tell God. Tell him. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And then what happens? God comes in in a most amazing way and brings deliverance to these dear godly ones who've separated themselves unto him. You know, Jehaziel is, don't hear hear whether he ever had a word from God before, but he certainly had a word then. The battle is not yours, it's God's. You know, you only have to, what does he say there in, 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 in his response? Jehaziel Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up in the scent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley and east of wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah. And Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Well, it's a magnificent story. And they go out singing and they fight, the enemies fight each other and kill each other and destroy. But the same truth comes through so clearly all through the scriptures. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in the day of Pentecost, and there's a mighty move, the kingdom of heaven on earth. People are converted. What happens immediately after that? Enemies come. And so we should not expect to find peace on earth. Peace, yes, in our hearts. But not peace in the sense there isn't conflict. There is conflict in this world. Lydia found a lovely quotation Uh, A week ago, she showed me. She said, oh, this person has said, to the unrepentant, this world is the only heaven they will ever know. To the repentant, this world is the only hell they will ever know. And I thought, wow, that's really full of insight. Because we're on a journey. And we're marching, onward Christian soldiers, and we're marching to a home where there's no more battle. But in this world, we'll have tribulation. Jesus said so. He wants us to separate ourselves unto him because he doesn't want to have to judge us. Remember we read tonight in First Peter, Peter said judgment has begun with the house of God. It begins with us. God disciplines us to separate us from sin and corruption so we can live with him forever. But the judgment that is coming on this world is going to be absolutely incredible. Because for those who do not believe in Jesus, there's no escape. And so Peter tells his dear friends in 1 Peter 4, which we read today, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that comes upon you 
to prove you, as if something strange was happening to you. Are you having some of these experiences? Are you having fiery ordeals come upon you that seem strange? Well, they're not strange, actually. If you get close to those who walk closely with God, they will tell you the same experiences. Fiery ordeals. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What did they do to Jesus in the end? We sing onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before, reminding us that there is a battle. He's already won it for us. But we are suffering in his footsteps. Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Like when Jehoshaphat humbled himself and prayed and fasted and the glory of the Lord was revealed. Peter says, Judgment has begun at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Well, that's a fearful prospect and that's why we want to tell people about Jesus, isn't it? You know, we know that the consequences of people not believing. You know, During the week I had to have blood tests because I've got these blood clots there and I forgot about doing it. My wife keeps reminding me, have you done any blood tests? So I went and got my blood test on Thursday, went across to a Melbourne pathology there and went straight in and a cheery lady said, come with me, you know, and... Then she says, what do you like uh, being, you know, jabbed? I said, don't worry, I've had lots of jabs. You can have lots of, yeah, I'm a pincushion. Um, she said, oh, well, that's good, she said. And I said to her, what's your name? She said, Vivian. I said, where are you from? Taiwan. Oh, Taiwan, that's a pretty interesting place to be on earth at the present time. And I guess you're glad you're in Australia. She said, yes, she was. And then uh, I said, are you a Christian? She said, no, I'm a Buddhist. Well, my father and mother are Buddhists. And then she said, but my dad gave me a Bible. I said, wow, that's really good. That's good. Are you married? Yeah, yeah, I'm married. Have you got children? No, I haven't got children. Want to have children? I said, oh, I've got a word for you. So I opened my Bible and went on my phone. I said, yeah, let me read this to you. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. And she's looking at me like this. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the, heaven, on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. And she said, where's that? I said, Psalm 113. I said, you go home and read it and pray to Jesus. He's going to give you a child. Oh, she said, (laughs) she was so excited. I was glad I had had to get a blood test. I was glad I had blood clots. You see, like lamb, 
the car broke down, but he got put in a train with a... And there he is. The book he was reading is in Arabic. He showed me I couldn't possibly read it. <laughs> no wonder the Muslim girl said, what are you reading? She could see the Arabic, you see. She... And he had the chance to share the gospel with her. So these things that are happening to us, they're actually good, aren't they? That some may be saved. Some may be rescued from the judgment that is coming. For there is only one who can save us, isn't there? This young man who came to Bible study today, who's miraculously been converted, has come to know Jesus as his saviour. And he was just flowing in our study today, sharing his testimony of how God revealed himself to him. When he was in Japan at a Buddhist temple, you know, he had a spiritual encounter there. Where God revealed the Lord Jesus to him. That's the God we worship. And he wants us to share. There were two American tourists, actually, who were very instrumental, and they turned out to be Christians, and they obviously were praying for this man. So let's do the same. And let's remember there are troubles, sin, which we can deal with. We can repent of it and remove it. And then there's the battle with the enemy where we need God's help. For we cannot fight the enemy in our own strength. And these troubles will always be in this world. But hallelujah, there is another world. There is a home where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and me. Let's pray.